We turn in God's holy word this evening to Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. Just to clarify things, there's been a little bit of confusion, I think. Today is not my last Sunday in the pulpit. That'll be next Sunday. There will not be a farewell. I'm not leaving. And I'm thankful that we're not leaving. We're going to be transitioning clearly to a different aspect of the ministry as an emeritus pastor, as will we together as a congregation, but there will be no farewell. So next Sunday, the Lord willing, we'll have New Year's service in the morning and installation in the evening. But this evening, we turn to Revelation 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their forehead. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. 
I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This evening, I call your attention to verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 22. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, looking back over the nearly 13 years of my ministry here, I found that I have preached 33 series of sermons. Besides preaching completely through the Heidelberg Catechism, more than seven times. With the exception of a few texts from the series on the book of Daniel, as well as from 1 Thessalonians, and an occasional text from other books of the Bible, I did not preach a series concerning the doctrine of the last things, or as our essentials catechumens know, eschatology. I thought it fitting, therefore, on this last Sunday evening of the year 2022 to preach from this text. Revelation 22, verses 6 and 7. And maybe, the Lord willing, when I come back to preach occasionally in the coming months, maybe we can preach some more sermons on the doctrine of the last thing. But this morning we considered the wonder of Christ's first coming in his incarnation. But that event, that wonderful, miraculous event in the coming of our Savior, is an event that set in motion his work which continues even now. It's a work that we observe with awe and in which we ourselves are taken up. As God, as Christ's work continues in his church and therefore in us as members of his church. But it's a work that also affects the creation and all of history. 
Because in that work, God is preparing the way for Christ's second coming. And as we come to the end of another calendar year this week, we must not get all caught up looking back over the many discouragements and trials that we face and which we continue to experience, but we must trust that all things are serving a purpose, namely to usher in our Savior's return. We don't have to understand how, but we must believe the words of our Savior, Behold, I come quickly. In this last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 6 and 7 begin what might be called the epilogue of this book. It's the conclusion, the summary of all that has been written in this book of Revelation, the main subject of which is that the Lord is coming quickly. The book of Revelation was written that the church might not be forgetful of that fact and might not grow weary and despondent in the face of all the troubles that she would have to endure and was enduring. She had to see and discern the Lord's coming. In all the events of the world and in all the trials that she might face as Christ's bride waiting his return. In the fifth verse, of this chapter, the visions of the book come to an end, and the prophecy of the book is closed. This conclusion that begins in verse 6 consists of several closing remarks, remarks that summarize and apply the prophecies already given. So there are, in the rest of this chapter, parting blessings, instructions, and solemn warning. The blessed promise of Christ, which we see in verse 7, is repeated, and there is in this section the response of the bride. Christ's church, to the word of his gospel, she says, come, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But that response is a response to that which we take as the words of our text this evening and which introduces this concluding section of the book of Revelation. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Let's give careful attention then to this text under the theme, Christ's speedy coming. We notice, first of all, its nearness. Secondly, its divine certainty. And finally, the response it demands. Behold, I come quickly. That is the great proclamation of this text. 
And in fact, that's the central message of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation calls attention to the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ is revealed and explained by God in what is called the prophecy of this book. As to the contents of the prophecy, it's essentially the same as the contents of of all the prophecy of of Holy Scripture. That's evident also from the fact that the holy angel refers in verse 6 to the Lord God of the holy prophets. That description of God has a purpose. And that purpose is that the same God who inspired the holy prophets from the beginning is the God who inspired John and gave him to see the revelation that he in turn recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And seeing that the same God inspired the holy prophets from the beginning, it's evident that the purpose here is to emphasize that all prophecy is essentially one and the same. As we heard this morning, all prophecy proclaims the coming of the Lord. When you understand that, then you see that there is essentially no difference between the prophecy of the so-called mother promise of Genesis 3 verse 15 and the contents of the book of Revelation. They are both God's promise of the coming of his Son and the day of salvation. There's development in that prophecy There's progress, but all prophecy is essentially the same as far as its content is concerned. So we get to the last book of the Bible, this section which quickly summarizes the entire instruction of of the revelation given to the Apostle John, and we read the words of Christ in verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. And the repeat of that prophecy in verse 12, and behold, I come quickly. And yet again in verse 20, surely I come quickly. That was the great promise spoken by the prophets throughout history. The Lord inspired them to proclaim exactly that promise. That's what Enoch preached. Even before the flood, as we are told in Jude, verse 15, listen to this. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. That was certainly the message that Noah preached while he was preparing the ark. That was essentially the word that Moses preached before Pharaoh, and read the psalm, you find this same prophecy repeatedly. The Messiah, the Christ, is coming. That was the focus of the Old Testament prophets. And that promised Messiah came too. He fulfilled his word and the hope of his people. When Enoch and Noah 
preach that the Lord was coming? He came in the flood, in the waters of the flood, to save his church. But that wasn't his final coming. The Lord came again at the Red Sea, in the destruction of Pharaoh and his hopes, which signified baptism, according to 1 Corinthians 10. He came in the Babylonian captivity. And in the return, the deliverance from that captivity. But those events were not his final coming. They were steps in his coming. And so his prophets continued to preach. When John the Baptist was sent by God, this is what he preached in the wilderness of Judea. According to Matthew 3 and the parallel accounts, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we read in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. And he commissioned his disciples to preach the same. And Peter prophesied of Christ's coming, prefacing his remarks in 2 Peter chapter 3 by saying, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophet. So he and the other apostles preached the coming of the Lord just as the prophets of old had done. And he's still coming. The Lord has set a day when Christ shall be revealed from heaven. So we bear that same testimony today. We speak of that which has been the church's hope throughout the ages. We stand at the end of the ages with that same prophecy. Christ is coming. That's the church's confession when she is spiritually minded. The less spiritually minded we are, the less we speak of that coming of Christ, and the less we look in hope for that coming. But when we live in hope, our hope is focused upon the coming of our Lord. But notice the word of Christ is, Behold, I come quickly. And that causes many to question the promise. Because the idea of quickly hardly seems to fit our concept of that term. These words, after all, were written nearly 2,000 years ago. Nearly 2,000 years doesn't seem very quick, does it? And so there are those who deny this promise of Christ's coming or put it entirely in the past. Although a relatively new phenomenon in the church world, there are those called preterists 
who teach that this promise of Christ's coming was already fulfilled in the past. Preterism speaks of that which is past. And in this growing movement in Reformed and especially Presbyterian circles, conservative circles, preterists teach that this promise of Christ was fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., Christ returned in judgment, although not seen bodily. So all that remains is for the church to be busy in building the kingdom of heaven on this earth, Christianizing the nations and all aspects of society. But their view is in error serious error, and in fact robs God's children of their hope. We must not be led astray by that teaching. John, after all, recorded this testimony of Jesus some 20 years after the downfall of Jerusalem. Others look at this promise of Christ's coming speedily, quickly, and they scoff at it. And of them, Peter warned in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, when he said, knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. The same things that people said in the days of Noah when he preached to them Christ's coming. They simply make a mockery of this promise because it doesn't fit our understanding with what quickly means, they reject it. And if their mockery isn't expressed verbally, they express it by the way they live, walking after their own lusts as if there is no return of Christ. What does Christ mean, therefore, When he promises us, behold, I come quickly. Well, in the first place, quickly does not mean immediately. Doesn't mean that he can come at any moment. There are events, according to Scripture, that must take place before Christ's return. The Apostle Paul made clear in his second letter to the church at Thessalonica that the day of Christ was not at hand, was not imminent. People were not to quit working as if Christ was going to return next the next day or the next week. There are many things that must happen before Christ returns, things which in fact set the stage for that return. Among those things, as Paul spells out, are a great falling away, 
the church becoming worldly, the appearance of the man of sin, Antichrist, whose coming is after the workings of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and who will deceive those who love not the truth. So when Christ says, Behold, I come quickly, we must not think that he's promising to come immediately or at any moment. That said, we note secondly that when we stand before his promise, we must realize that speedy coming of Christ is near and was near at the time that it was written. That's even emphasized in the context when we read that John is instructed in verse 10, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Compare that to the prophecies in the Old Testament. Daniel was told in Daniel 8 verse 26, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And in Daniel 12, verse 4, we read again, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. And the meaning is that in Daniel's time, the fulfillment of that particular prophecy lay so far in the future that it couldn't be understood by the people of God at that time. We can only understand prophecy as we see it realized or as it's unfolded to us by the Holy Spirit. But that shows us that the prophecy of the book of Revelation is seen, is being fulfilled even before our very eyes. That's why John is told, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand the time of its fulfillment, is the New Testament age. And it becomes even more plain to us as it is realized before our eyes. This present age is the last age. As we have seen not too long ago from 1 John 2 verse 18, it is the last hour. In the Old Testament, there were all kinds of stops, if you will, on the way to the fulfillment of the prophecy of Christ's coming. There was the stop of the flood, of the separation into Egypt and from Egypt, of the Babylonian captivity and its deliverance from, the, from Babylon. But Christ's coming with the incarnation, his suffering and death, resurrection and ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost marked the last stop. There are no more stops to make before Christ's return. He's speedily approaching. That secondly. And in the third place, that expression, behold, I come quickly, means that our Lord is coming as fast as he can in harmony with God's eternal counsel. 
And it's not simply that he's waiting while all these things unfold from God's counsel. If we picture him as waiting, then indeed he tarries. And even when he tells us that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day, from our perspective, he tarries. But that understanding would be faulty. He isn't simply waiting. He's very actively coming. He's rushing toward us. Do you hear his footsteps? Look at the signs he set before us. In Matthew 24, he's rushing toward us. Peter ties this with the Lord's long-suffering toward his people. Christ's return cannot happen a moment too soon lest some of his people perish. Every last elect must be brought to faith and repentance before the Lord returns. But he is coming. Speedily coming. He's coming before our very eyes. He's coming in and through everything that takes place in this present age. As the king over all, he is ruling all things toward the accomplishment of his sovereign purpose. And in order that he might return in his final coming for his people who live in hope in the preaching of his gospel Christ is coming that's especially emphasized in revelation 11 with the vision of the two witnesses but it's also in that light that we must understand that somewhat strange verse in this chapter Revelation 22, verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. People have a hard time receiving such statements in Scripture. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. That is, he who is corrupt, let him hurry up and fill up his corruption. There are those who want to say of verse 11 that it belongs to the other side of the judgment. When the filthy will be confirmed in their filthiness and the righteous in their righteousness. But that interpretation doesn't fit with the context. And certainly those in hell do not still commit iniquity. They simply bear the punishment for their iniquity. But the meaning of verse 11 must be connected with verse 10, where the exhortation is given not to seal up the prophecy of this book, or positively, let the word be preached. Let it be proclaimed, for the time is at hand. What time? The time of the end. 
the time of our Lord's return, the time of judgment. But before that can come, the twofold fruit must be seen, namely the fruit of the root sin of Adam and that of the righteousness which is in Christ Jesus. The fruit of the righteous must be seen in them before the end can come. There must be seen in them the hopeful watching for the Lord. They must hear that preaching that has been ever of old. Christ is coming. But on the other hand, by that same preaching, the measure of iniquity must be revealed as full. He that is unjust must be made manifest as unjust. He that is filthy must be shown as filthy. In the preaching of the gospel, the great proclamation of the coming of Christ, that will draw the line between the disobedient and the people of God, even as it did in the days of Enoch and Noah. So by these faithful and true sayings, spoken by Christ through his servants, Christ is coming, actively and speedily coming. And not only by the preaching of the word, but in all things is Christ coming, actively and speedily coming. In the gathering of his church, Christ is coming. In the birth and raising of covenant children, Christ is at work, speedily coming for the salvation of his people. In the various catastrophes that happen, Throughout the whole world, we see Christ is coming. In the horrific wickedness that plagues our own land, we must understand Christ is coming. In the tragic departure from the truth by many, and the fierce opposition to the rule of Christ, we must remember Christ is at work, working his sovereign purpose, and is busy in his return to redeem Zion, his people. In all the political developments worldwide, Christ is turning the hearts of those who rule, as the rivers of water, guiding them for his speedy return. All these events are taking place with speed. In fact, speed that we could never have imagined just a few years ago. All these events rapidly proclaiming the coming of our Savior as God's time, time clock ticks constantly, steadily, persistently toward that final moment. 
with divine certainty, we may know that Christ is coming quickly. These sayings, said the angel, are faithful and true. That they are faithful means they are certain and authentic. These sayings do not belong to a mythological dream. They come to us from the Lord Jesus and are exactly according to the counsel of God. They will surely be realized, and because they will surely be realized, you may count on them. They who put their trust in these promises of God shall never be put to shame. God, who is faithful, shall certainly bring these things to pass. But these sayings are faithful because they are true. They are the exact expression of what's in God's mind. These are the things that God has decreed, and that his exalted Son even now is bringing to pass. And because God has spoken, we need not be concerned about empty promises. There's a divine guarantee, a divine assurance that these sayings are true. And so the angel adds, the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. He who is truth has spoken. But the divine certainty of these things is also confirmed by the instruction given that these are the things which must shortly be done. That Jesus returns is the culmination of all God's counsel. The must spoken of here is the must of God's eternal counsel his sovereign good pleasure. We are reminded here of what God says in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. That's a fundamental truth concerning God himself. He always does what he says, what he purposes. Christ's speedy coming happens with divine certainty because he comes for his bride, his church. And that also explains the urgency with which this promise is proclaimed. Behold, I come quickly especially the previous chapters, Revelation 19 through 21, set the scene of this 
blessed relationship that's waiting for its final fulfillment, its final realization. The bride is presently prepared, adorned for her husband, and John is given to see the beauty of that bride. The lamb's wife, the marriage feast of the lamb is waiting. And not only does the bride await with eagerness, but the bridegroom is coming as speedily as possible. His bride is most dear to him. He laid down his life for her to purchase her as his bride. So great is his love for her. And from heaven, he's given her his word, his love letters, if you will, the Holy Bible. He has sent to her his messengers to encourage her, to urge her to remain faithful, to live in watchfulness for his coming. He's coming for her. That coming cannot fail. After all, his father ordained this marriage in his eternal counsel of election. It is therefore a divine certainty. Behold, I come quickly, is his promise. The nearness of Christ's return and the divine certainty of his speedy coming demands a particular response from you and me to whom this word is given. A response summarized in verse 7 by these words. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The sayings of this prophecy may be defined within three categories. There is the category of exhortation, including instruction and admonition. There is also the category of the judgments that are proclaimed, especially the judgments of God's wrath upon the unbelieving and disobedient. But there is also the category characterized by the beautiful promise given to Christ's bride, his beloved people. So with that in mind, we may say that to keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book implies three things. In the first place, it means that we take notice of the judgments pronounced by God, and we take a stand. In all that takes place in the world today, there is nothing that falls outside God's sovereign purpose and the fulfillment of His will. There are some astounding happenings, to be sure. There are events that shock the senses and cause even the ungodly to ask questions. But in the light of God's word and his proclamations, pronouncement of judgment, there's nothing strange. 
Because the fact is, the sayings of the prophecy of this book are being realized before our very eyes. Let us humble ourselves before the judgments of God. In the second place, to keep these sayings means that we heed the exhortations that Christ speaks to us in his word. Sometimes we like quickly to cast off those exhortations that are addressed to us. Sometimes we we live like those admonitions of the scripture are for everyone else, not us. Hear the word of the Lord. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. That is, the hypocrisy of one who only puts on an appearance of being one of Christ's bride shall be exposed. To keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book is to recognize in all humility that the exhortations God gives us are needful for us. And it's to walk in obedience to them. But then finally, to keep these sayings is also to embrace by faith the promises proclaimed to us who belong to Jesus Christ. Blessed are you who embrace the promises. We can't have the promises without also receiving the judgments and the exhortations. But blessed are you walking in the way of God's word also embrace his promises by faith. Because then you live in hope. And then also you receive with faith his judgments and exhortations. Then you have peace. Outside these promises, There's nothing but despair. But lay hold of them by faith, and you together with the bride will say, Come, Lord Jesus! And he who alone is our Savior says even now, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the promise of our Savior's return. We long for that. We long for the freedom that will be ours when we are completely delivered 
from all the sin and darkness and death of this present world, from all the defilement and attacks upon thy holy name. Father, sanctify us as we live by faith in that promise. Give us also to humble ourselves before thee, to hear thy word, and to obey. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.